0: Welcome to Hometown California, a production of the Rural County Representatives of California, advocating for California's rural counties for nearly 50 years. Hometown California tells the rural story through the eyes of those who live, work, and play in the rural communities of the Golden State. This is Hometown California. I'm your host, Paul A. Smith. Joining me today is Francisco Castillo, the Senior Director of Public Affairs for the Union Pacific Railroad. Welcome, Francisco. Thanks, Paul. So uh, folks who have been listening to the podcast now are probably familiar. Last uh, episode, we talked about the trucking industry. And today we're going to talk about railroads, who have an incredible historic role in California. So we've invited Francisco to join us and talk a little bit about railroads in California and the issues that the railroad faces. Railroads, not just Union Pacific, but across the spectrum, and how they intersect with rural California and public policymakers in rural California. So. To get started, Francisco, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Union Pacific, its history in California, uh, and its operations across the state, but more importantly, in rural areas. Sure.
1: Thanks for having me again. Uh, Obviously, important to discuss the freight industry as an important uh, economic driver for not only the U.S., but in California. And so we're happy to be on the show to share with the listeners a little bit about what we're all about uh, so at Union Pacific, we operate in 23 states west of the Mississippi and run through more than about 7,000 communities across those 23 states. But particularly in California, we have about 3,300 miles of track, uh, about 3,800 employees. Uh, and our operations originates really in California from two central hubs, right? the Northern California Service Unit, which is based in Roseville, and the Los Angeles Service Unit, which are at the heart of the freight operations. And they serve as a vital lane connecting the North and South Transportation Services and the East and West Corridors with International Commerce. As it relates to the Agricultural Central Valley, uh, our I-5 uh, Highway 99 corridor, which parallels Highway 99, I-5 that's the most uh, efficient route serving the rich agricultural Central Valley and the of LA, Long Beach, uh, and Oakland. So again, you might not think of U.S. railroad as an international company, but 30 to 40% of our freight originates or terminates outside of the U.S. And I can talk a little bit more down the line about you know, what are some of those key important seaports uh, and regions for Union Pacific. But we are the largest freight railroad in the U.S. and in California, uh, our partner is NSF. And those are the two freight class one railroads that are here based in California.
0: So you're doing a lot of work, I understand, hauling freight out of California and out of the U.S. as well as moving freight that's coming in internationally. Maybe talk about those port operations and what the challenges of moving that freight out of a seaport and then on to ultimate destinations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we link to every major West and Gulf Coast port. Those ports were critical the last couple of years with increases in grain exports and also the changing diets in Asia. And, and the larger ports in California include, as I mentioned, the Port of LA, Port of Long Beach, Oakland, and Stockton. And the Union Pacific is unique because we have access to about 28 West Coast and 30 Gulf Coast ports no other railroad has that type of access. And particularly, I like to you know focus on the Port of LA because it's one of the world's busiest seaports. And it's also a leading gateway for international trade in North America, right? And so just the Port of LA and Long Beach on their own, they're known as San Pedro Bay Complex. They handle about 25% of all US exports and nearly 40% of containerized imports. So that's a, a significant number uh, in terms of product and commodities that we move in and out of California for other parts of the world and for other parts of the U.S. Uh, we also have other big facilities in the state, particularly in Colton. That's our biggest facility in Southern California. And in Roseville, we have the Roseville Classification Yard, uh, which is kind of the largest uh, West Coast classification yard here in California. Uh, and the Colton one deals with more kind of, There's no intermodal aspect, uh, but it's a key classification yard where our trains kind of go through, uh, and that's a key location for that. And then we have the intermodal container transfer facility in Southern California, and that's primarily a facility that supports our ports in Long Beach and L.A., which are significant for import and export.
0: So what kind of commodities are you hauling? I understand coal is a big commodity out of Wyoming. Uh, I assume autos.
1: Absolutely. And and coal and, you know, the, the hot topics, right, the hot commodities, as you mentioned, uh, one of them is coal and the other one is crude oil, right? Uh, obviously, those commodities throughout the years have decreased in terms of how much we move into and out of California because of the changing markets, uh, green energy, that business has decreased. But think about it this way, you know, think about it for a minute. I think listeners, when we talk about this, really understand how the railroad relates to everyday life. When you woke up this morning and turn on the lights, the electricity that you use probably came from coal or wind turbines that moved on one of our trains. Before someone turned on their computer or television to get the news this morning, that probably moved on one of our trains and same with automobiles, right? If you drive an automobile to work, probably rode on a Union Pacific train before we ever laid eyes on it. And, and even the food that we eat on an everyday basis, most likely was on a train before it was on the table. And so one thing I'd like to mention to those is we're talking about rural California and how we can, you know, the railroad, is it's, it's importance to rural America is we have a big economic development interest in rural America. And it shows based on the percentage of our overall ag business particularly in California and overall, right? So Union Pacific has four business groups, agriculture, energy, industrial, and premium. And ag plays a major role. And so, and, and, and obviously rural California is a big part of that. And we want to continue investing in that capacity project that improve productivity operations. And, for a long time, we, you know, our relationship with farmers, for example, in, in rural and many rural uh, areas extends back nearly 200 years to when railroads became the critical lane between rural farms and emerging urban centers in an increasingly industrialized country. And so we're proud of that history. Uh, we're proud of the various commodities that we move throughout the state. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that
0: moving forward. So also maybe speak what's underneath those railroad tracks. My understanding is you're also operating a lot of pipeline underneath those tracks, moving a lot of either natural gas or oil or what have you. How vital is that to the railroad as well? And how vital is that to hooking up all of uh, the U.S.'s needs, whether, again, it's uh, a vital fluid commodity or otherwise?
1: Those are um, relationships that we have with utilities uh, and oil companies that have gone back for many, many, many years. A lot of our railroads in many parts of our right of have uh, utilities, for example, uh, which help produce electricity for you know individual households. Many of them come or cross railroad tracks and in some cases. There's crude oil, for example, uh, or oil that helps produce, obviously, the gas that we use uh, on a daily basis. Uh, And so it really depends on the different parts of our network that that those exist. But we have a great relationship with our utility partners, but also with our chemical and oil partners as well, which help provide those essential services and essential needs for Californians to be able to live their everyday life, whether it's gasoline or electricity.
0: All right, So what do you think the biggest issues Union Pacific faces, maybe large railroads in general, what are those issues that they face in California?
1: Yeah, you know, rigorously maintaining quality rail infrastructure uh, is obviously the foundation to our ability to safely operate. Union Pacific spends a lot of capital in maintaining our rail infrastructure not only throughout our system but in the state of california and just to put it in perspective union Pacific's capital program totaled about 3.2 billion dollars past year in 2019 and in a five-year period about 1.4 billion dollars of those investments went to california to improve track capacity and service uh, and many individuals you know don't, don't recognize the fact that we are a private entity Railroads are our private entity, and so we don't receive funding from federal or state to help improve or maintain the infrastructure. And so that upkeep is really important for us. Um, in addition, you know, homelessness is a major concern right now. is our number one community issue in the state. And despite our efforts, there's unlawful encampments that are set up on the right-of-way, along with dumping graffiti and other illegal activities by third parties. And it's a growing social problem that state and local government are struggling to get their arms around it, you know, we try to work very closely with them. And this affects rural America too, Paul. I mean, when we've dealt with farmers uh, in Monterey County, for example, where they're concerned that transit encampments are literally setting up camp next to farms, uh, which they're concerned about the contamination that may occur as a result. And so... We work with local jurisdictions to help mitigate that concern uh, as much as possible and partner with them in a way where we can address those issues working together. Uh, And the the other number three is really ever increasing environmental regulations in the state. As you know, California is all about environmental uh, justice, and we as a railroad support Uh, obviously the environment and we've done and taken measures to help the locomotives to initiatives that are efficient uh, that help the environment. And so we're constantly working on those issues as well.
0: Yeah. I think so. On the environment, you probably got two challenges. A, what you haul, i.e. coal. Two, obviously you burn a lot of diesel fuel.
1: The rail is the most environmentally sound way to move freight over land, and on average, trains are four times more fuel efficient than trucks. That means that you know trains can move one ton of freight 473 miles on a single gallon of diesel. They also uh, reduce highway gridlock or greenhouse gas emissions and reduce pollution. Uh, and so we're we're proud of that record uh, as it relates to being environmentally friendly. And and it's a friendly competition with our truckers, right? I mean, it's a uh, uh, we, we don't, um, we're not competing against them when it comes to our environment, but we do like to tout our record when it comes to uh, helping to um, show communities across California and our network that we are environmentally friendly uh, and, you know, are taking the initiative to protect the environment for Californians and for, into other states where we operate in.
0: Has there been a lot of calls to try to electrify your line and is that viable uh, in certain corridors? <laughs> I would think going over the Feather River Canyon or going through the Sierras or even the Cajon Pass, that that's, would be a major, major challenge.
1: That's a huge challenge. There, there have been discussions about electrification, and they're just not the technology. We believe at this time to use a locomotive on electrified track lines with the amount of weight and the, and the length of these trains, they're massive. And we don't believe that the technology is there yet as it relates to electrifying our lines. And so, you know, as I mentioned that we are the most environmentally friendly and and we are moving in the most environmentally sound way um, and taking those measures to mitigate those concerns of Californians across state and 23 states. But electrification, that has been a discussion we've had with policymakers and even internal. The technology is just not there yet.
0: Yeah. You're you're based out of Omaha and I assume your fleets go all the way into Chicago to the east and probably down to the Gulf Coast to the south. Is that correct? That's correct. So yeah, you would probably have to electrify every segment, whether it's you know, all the way from the port of LA to Chicago or what, and that, that's gonna get very expensive.
1: It's also the interconnectivity too. I mean, like you said, I mean I think and that comes uh, you know, when when there are State entities that uh, want to set a specific regulation on the railroad. Um, It's really uh, what we look at. We have the whole picture. We have 23 states that we have to operate in. One segment of our network is California, which is a major segment. We recognize that. But we can't have different regulations, for example, when it comes to California versus other states because of the interconnectivity, right? Uh, And so what we do in California affects our entire rail network. What we do in Idaho, Washington, and Nevada, in those individual states, it affects our entire network. So we look at the big picture uh, when it comes to any uh, regulatory efforts at the state level uh, and work closely with those county state authorities uh, and kind of make them understand and provide a little bit of knowledge about what that national rail network looks like and how it will be impacted by some of the policies that are being discussed.
0: So it looks like you're kind of making the case for why the railroads have federal preemption. I know a lot of RCRC member counties get a little frustrated in the inability to either regulate or have some amount of influence on Union Pacific and others. Can you speak a little bit more about why federal preemption is so important?
1: Absolutely. And first, you know, I want to say, I want to start off by saying that we have a positive working relationship with counties uh, throughout California and even with the state of California, I mean, the state of California is our biggest partner on many projects, right? Whether it's passenger freight, uh, passenger rail, uh, public projects, we appreciate and want to continue being in the mix as part of a public engagement, perspective, right? But UP is a common freight railroad, and that's subject to regula- regulations by the Surface Transportation Board. Uh, and that's under the Interstate Commerce Commission uh, Termination Act of 1995, which is what we refer to as ICC. And It provides for the STB to have exclusive jurisdiction over all matters relating to the construction, that's acquisition, operations, abandonment, uh, discontinuance of railroad infrastructure and in our facilities. And this federal preemption of local authority doesn't mean that UP intends to construct a facility that is not Protective of human health or safety or local government, because regardless of that, that exclusive jurisdiction uh, of the S T B over these railroad facilities, we still want to be a good partner. Uh, and we still are prepared to discuss with local jurisdictions and counties um, the details related to any UP project and any concern uh, that they have uh, you know, to with, with staff to ensure that the project goes smoothly, right? And so We don't pull that card a lot because, like I said, we have a great relationship with many local jurisdictions that many times we go through the permitting process. We go to commission meetings uh, and we don't bypass that uh, when it comes to working with local jurisdictions on many of the projects that we have going on in California.
0: So switching gears, no pun intended there, uh, how's the pandemic and this coronavirus been to your railroad and to the railroad industry as a whole?
1: Sure, you know, the year started off on an optimistic note for US ports and railroads and businesses that are anticipating an improvement in international trade. Um, and that's, you know, thanks to the signing of the phase one trade deal with China. I know there's probably too much info, but, but we were optimistic about, about that. And then COVID-19 happened and, and China's annual factory shutdown for the new year lasted longer than normal. Uh, and that caused a drop in supply. Uh, and, you know, although overseas factories are coming back online and supplies returning, we believe that the recovery period for U.S. demand is, is really unclear.
0: Francisco, on the China front, is that a conversation that you uh, have less freight to move coming into the ports of manufactured goods in China? Or is it more about maybe energy exports or raw commodities that you're hauling that are destined for China?
1: I think it's equal balance uh, when it comes to that, right? And just to put it in perspective, our quarterly results were significantly impacted by COVID-19, which which we expected, right? The second quarter volumes were down across all commodities, and that was an overall about 20% decrease compared to 2019. And since, so since bottoming you know, early in that quarter, volumes continue to slowly now trend upward. And as the economy picks up, new business captured the pre-pandemic, that captured the pre-pandemic is finally really starting to show up in our car loading. And so, you know, one of the things that we did, uh, that that we enacted internally was our CEO took on lead was, we enacted several cost saving measures, like every other company. Uh, I mean, local jurisdictions were doing this, the private sector, the public sector, and those cost saving measures included, you know, UP furloughs, for example, uh, for May, June and July. Executives and the board members saw a 25% reduction in pay over, the, over that same time period. And so there's certain measures that we took into play early on that really helped get you back in the footing. And you know, to the executive's credit, um, they ended the furloughs a month early, right? So we ended them in July versus August. And so we are starting to see an increase in volume. We're cautiously optimistic, uh, and we're not calling an end to COVID-19 volume risk, obviously, even. We have a lot of bright spots on the horizon, uh, and, and one of them is, as it relates to you know the ag is the export feed grain is up year over year, and we're anticipating strong ex- export volumes in the second half of the year with increased demand from China, uh, because we're talking about China as well. So, you know, it's, it's finally kind of trending upwards. We're cautiously optimistic and continue to monitor that closely.
0: And are you seeing that across the specter of railroads that uh, your partners, either at BNSF or CSX or what have you, they're, they're experiencing that same dynamic? Or is this something unique to Union Pacific because it's so close to what goes on in East Asia?
1: No, you know, I, I think it's across the board. I, I think you know, I don't have the earnings percentages of the railroads, um, our railroad partners. But it is clear that they also uh, experience volume decreases, um, and so every railroad was trying to figure out ways to cut uh, cost, uh, make our railroad more efficient, more effective, uh, whether that was furloughs or reducing our operating. And, and so that's you know on every level, I think it impacted the freight industry in the U.S. as a whole, uh, and you know that that was a significant impact that. We, we deal with a lot on the railroad, and we've experienced quite a bit after being around for over 150 years. Uh, but this was something that we weren't necessarily 100% prepared for, but took swift action uh, to address it. And now, you know, we're seeing car loads starting to come up. So we're cautiously optimistic, uh, and we'll kind of how the economy plays out.
0: So kind of the ancillary issues to running a railroad, some would say your fuel prices must have gone down. You're consuming a lot of diesel and oil prices have been artificially low for the last four months. Has that helped? And then kind of a second question is buying locomotives from the major manufacturers. I believe General Motors still is in the big locomotive business. Are things there have those taken a pause? And so there's a ripple economy negative on the supply side, but yet Maybe the railroad's doing a little bit better because fuel prices are low.
1: Yeah, you know, and it was, it was, uh, it was not just fuel prices, right? I think the fuel prices definitely helped, but it was the measures that we took as a railroad to help cut operational cost, uh, help, you know, implement those efficiencies across the railroad, uh, the furloughs. I think it was a combination of things that certainly helped for us. And, and you know, as production plans and were being shut down temporarily, uh, we had to store many locomotives, right? Which weren't being used, which resulted in using less diesel. Uh, and so that obviously was a cost savings for us too. Uh, I don't think it was by choice, <laughs> by choice, uh, but it was certainly uh, part of the operational cost savings that we experienced during shutdown in March, April, and May, uh, and you know, even June. And so, you know, there was a lot of stored locomotives, And as a result, less fuel being used. And certainly the prices of diesel were down, right? That helped, we still had to run a railroad 24 seven. We're still part of a a critical infrastructure and essential services industry uh, where we allowed us to kind of continue those operational, um, uh, the needs for the operation to continue uh, during this time. So a lot of cost saving measures that were implemented at the place that I think added to our um, efforts to reduce costs.
0: So Francisco, in the remaining time that we have, let's talk a little bit about the future of the railroads, particularly in the West. A couple questions here for you. The first, the status of building a large port, a Western port in Mexico, which vital, with vital rail links. Uh, there had been talk maybe a dozen years ago that that was the wave of the future. What's, what's going on with that?
1: To be honest with you, Paul, I don't have much information about that specific port, but one of the things in terms of what does the future look like, right? You ask what the future looks like, and that's, you know, what we what we know is that by 2045, the U.S. freight shipments will increase by about 40%, and America's population will grow by 70 million, right? And that's according to the U.S. Federal Highway Administration. And so we we have capacity in California and throughout our 23 states to safely and reliably move those additional goods, uh, increasing truck congestion on the nation's you know, already down highways in interstate. And we will continue to identify ways to or identify locations and ways to invest uh, as part of our economic development growth uh, within California. Cause like I said, we have that capacity to do so. And so we are going through some rough times now, and it's not only us, the railroad industry as a whole uh, across the country is going through uh, a rough time. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we, we don't have the capacity on our right-of-way uh, and in properties that we own throughout the state of California to help increase uh, our work in the state, uh, and so we're looking forward to that
0: it sounds like regardless of what happens in Mexico, regardless of what happens enlarging the Panama Canal and getting more freight out of the Gulf Coast, it sounds like California ports will continue to be a vital link for Union Pacific Railroad as well as other freight-based railroads shipping commodities around the world.
1: And the beauty about Union Pacific and the freight industry is that we have a balanced diversity from our business group that gives our company some strength, right? And along with service to Mexico markets, um, our dev- I we have a diversified mix, which includes bulk, uh, industrial and premium, which I mentioned at the beginning. And those business groups were consolidated, by the way, from four to three, back in January 1st, that was part of a revamp that we did uh, to kind of focus strength on these four different industries. And so, you know, um, it gives us the product mix that we have, uh, gives us the stability uh, during the ebbs and flows of various markets. Uh, And so we're proud of that business mix, uh, and we hope that in the future, uh, as things improve, uh, we constantly look at capacity and expansion, uh, if it makes sense, uh, within not just the state of California, but different parts of our network.
0: So lastly, the role of passenger rail, you obviously don't run passenger service done for about 50 years, but your right-of-ways are very important in the conversation about passenger rail. Maybe can you speak to that? Maybe the high-speed rail line in the Central Valley and elsewhere, where all that fits.
1: And so, you know, UP's core business, as you mentioned, is is freight rail. Uh, And protecting and growing our freight franchise is going to be our top priority. And so our our right-of-way is our physical plant. Right, unlike many other companies across the country. However, <laughs> I'd say that UP has several historical passenger agreements in place throughout California that we're proud of and the West Coast. Uh, that's a part of our national network. And in fact, we're working with various agencies across the state who are seeking to grow their service or footprint, uh, and that's, you know, for example, ACE, uh, Losan, TCJPA, uh, which kind of services the Bay Area, Caltrans. Um, even high-speed rail. And some of these agency partners with Amtrak and others have their own operators, which we closely work with as well. And so, you know, we adhere to the established commuter and passenger principles on reviewing any proposed commuter or passenger service that seeks to access our property or network. So as long as there's a proposal in place that they present to us, we're gonna give it a fair review uh, to see if it makes sense um, for us particularly on the capacity side uh, and also, you know, whether it makes sense for us on the passenger side to be providing help, you know, those services and, and commuter and passenger rail. And I don't think many people know this, commuter and passenger rail agencies get priority service uh, because of the schedules and on-time performance measures. And since freight doesn't run, we don't run on a schedule. Sometimes the two can conflict, right? And so we don't want to set up a system where freight or passenger on our network creates a standing conflict. So, Uh, It's an ongoing process that we are um, proud to work with many of our passenger uh, partners in the state. Uh, We have a great relationship with many of them, uh, and we're going to continue to do that and figure out ways to, you know, increase passenger services where it
0: makes sense. Francisco Castillo of Union Pacific Railroad, thank you for your time today. Very enlightening. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, So thank you for your time, Francisco, and really appreciate uh, talking choo choos with you. (laughs) No problem. Thank you. You've been listening to Hometown California, a production of the Rural County Representatives of California. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to rate and review this podcast. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and thanks for listening.